Welcome to Film Recommendations. In the pursuit of offbeat Christmas movies, I decided to take an in-depth look at one of my personal favorites, The Long Kiss Goodnight. Released in October of 1996, the film was directed by Rennie Harlan, who also directed Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Warriors, and Die Hard 2, Die Harder. Music was done by the great Alan Silvestri, better known for the music from Back to the Future and Who Framed Roger Rabbit when he was working with those films' director, Robert Zemeckis. This film clocks in at exactly two hours and was an absolute box office flop for New Line Cinema as it headed into developing the gargantuan Lord of the Rings trilogy. However, the script originally sold for $4 million, which is just over $7 million adjusted for inflation. The Long Kiss Goodnight struggled in the box office, making the writer, Shane Black, known for such action hits as Lethal Weapon, Monster Squad, and The Last Boy Scout, to wonder if it was because of sexism. But with it making back $96 million from a $65 million budget, this was actually at a time when a lot of big-budget movies were suffering at a loss. It notoriously caused Warner Brothers and Tim Burton to can their big-budget Superman film starring Nicolas Cage as Kal-El. Personally, I feel that the problem was releasing an action movie that is set at Christmas and New Year's Eve all the way in October, when everyone would probably rather watch horror movies or family films. Let's keep in mind that one month later we saw the release of the live-action 101 Dalmatians movie, Ransom, and Space Jam, all of which were huge box office hits. But just looking at the month of October, that was the month for That Thing You Do, which flopped despite people really enjoying it, and The Associate, starring Whoopi Goldberg, which I actually enjoyed. This was the month that saw D3, the third film in the Mighty Ducks franchise, and the David Zucker-helmed spoof High School High both fail. Meanwhile, the top film that I could find from that month was Sleepers, a crime thriller with an all-star cast that most people today don't even remember. The only reason why the Vince Vaughn, John Favreau film Swingers did well was because the budget was only $200,000. It made $4.6 million, and that's a fraction of what all the other films mentioned made. October of 1996 was so bad that the Stephen King film Thinner technically failed, as with an $8 million budget, it failed to make the necessary $16 million to be considered barely successful. But beyond that, the previous collaboration between Gina Davis and Rennie Harlan was another personal favorite of mine, Cutthroat Island, which the studios released days before Christmas, despite clearly being a summer film. It had to butt heads with smash hits like Heat, Jumanji, Balto, Dracula Dead and Loving It, Grumpier Old Men, Tom and Huck, Waiting to Exhale, Twelve Monkeys, Dead Man Walking, Mr. Holland's Opus, and the Jean-Claude Van Damme action thriller Sudden Death. That is a gamut of movies that would draw away audiences in the heart of winter right before a major holiday. So we can firmly say that the studio submarined the film by releasing it in the middle of the fall. What would the competition have been in December for The Long Kiss Goodnight? Jerry Maguire, Mars Attacks, The Preacher's Wife, Beavis and Butthead Do America, Marvin's Room, 
Ghosts of Mississippi, My Fellow Americans, One Fine Day, Scream, The Evening Star, Evita, Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet, Michael, and The People vs. Larry Flint. If you notice in all those titles, there is not really one action film in the lot. At best, you could get away with saying some action fans might go see Mars Attacks or Scream, but not really. No, this is a situation where the studio would have cleaned up had they released Long Kiss Goodnight in theaters during the time of year when the movie takes place. We even know that Rennie Harlan films set at Christmas can do well because Die Hard 2 was a hit with audiences. Are we sure that someone didn't mix up Scream with The Long Kiss Goodnight? Because those seem like films that should have swapped places. Alright, that's enough background to establish that this film deserved better than it got. Let's actually get to discussing the movie. The plot for this centers around Samantha Kane having suffered from memory loss having washed ashore in New Jersey. In common parlance, this is misidentified as amnesia, which is actually the sudden inability to form new memories, similar to the way in which Alzheimer's disease has older memories more readily available than newer ones. This, however, is simply memory loss, as in all memories are blocked out, which is usually caused by trauma and crisis rather than a simple blow to the head as many stories often portray. I apologize if you were a fan of the Jason Bourne series. When she washed ashore, Samantha was also pregnant with a daughter that she named Caitlin. Working as a school teacher and dating a local man named Hal in her small Pennsylvania town, she paid numerous private detectives to help her track down her real identity over the years. The latest of these is Mitch Hennessy, played by Samuel L. Jackson. Through a twist of fate, Samantha is involved in a car accident, and as per our old-school cartoon logic, the blow to the head she suffers unlocks the memories that emerge over time. She finds that she is highly skilled with a knife. Thinking that she might be a chef, she throws a knife at the wall with deadly accuracy and says, Chefs do that, weirding out both Hal and Caitlin. But after a convict named One-Eyed Jack sees Samantha on the news, he escapes to seek her out and breaks into her home where she kills him with her bare hands, licking whipped cream and blood off her finger. She says low and darkly, Chefs do that. From there, Mitch takes Samantha on a quest to track down the mystery of who she is. While in a motel room, she opens up a suitcase that they found belonging to her, looking in the bottom to find a concealed, disassembled sniper rifle. When she is able to instantly reassemble it from muscle memory, she realizes that chefs don't do that. The rest of the story is a plot loaded with twists and turns as Samantha realizes that she is really Charlie Baltimore and that eight years prior, she had uncovered a program called Project Honeymoon, a false flag operation that would see the release of a chemical bomb at Niagara Falls to get the CIA more funding by blaming the explosion on jihadi terrorists. In the original cut of the film, Mitch was killed. But after an audience member stood up and declared, You can't kill Sam Jackson! They rewrote the movie and had him finish out the story. I agree with this decision because earlier in the film, we get some pathos with Mitch wherein he has an estranged ex-wife and son, and the resolution to that subplot is perfect. 
But as the story reaches its climax, as the leader of Project Honeymoon, known only as Timothy, has kidnapped Caitlin and holds her hostage to ensnare Charlie. I won't spoil the rest of the movie for you, as the ending is genuinely fun and brilliant, but as Mitch is driving a car with Charlie and Caitlin in the passenger seats, flaming cars begin falling from the sky, and Caitlin tells Mitch, Don't hit the cars! And Mitch gives her a dirty look that is priceless. Thank you, Princess Obvious. It's worth noting that during filming in Windermere, Ontario, a massive fire broke out at the historic Windermere House Hotel. This led to scenes planned to be filmed on location inside the hotel having to be filmed on a set instead. The fire itself apparently was caused by faulty wiring and not due to anything the film crew did, and thankfully the fire didn't spread any further than the building. The Long Kiss Goodnight is easily one of the better action films with a spy thriller twist for the 90s, with Gina Davis and Samuel L. Jackson being excellent leads. The film's music direction outside of the score by Alan Silvestri is simply excellent for the story being told, and it's held up really well as a fun movie when you want to pop some popcorn and watch a lady kick butt while guns and explosions go off all around her. The film really doesn't have too much wrong with it that isn't overshadowed by how great it is in every other aspect. An ensemble cast keep the whole film tight, and my only complaint is having Craig Bierko as your villain because he's too white-bred in his delivery to be a compelling villain. If I were to rework it, I would have cast Bierko as Hal and cast Tom Amandez as Timothy. Amandez has far more character to his face and feels like he could have carried off the part better with far more of a sinister edge. As it is, I've omitted loads of story points that I want you to enjoy as the film is loaded end-to-end -end with great lines, moments, and sequences that are worthy of savoring on the first watch. The film doesn't get too gruesome or gory, but I still wouldn't recommend this movie for kids under 10. While watching, look for Brian Cox and David Morse in the middle act. Their parts in the story are a lot of fun. The film's author, Shane Black, left room for a sequel called The Kiss After Lightning, but due to the first film bombing, this never happened, despite a little buzz in 2007 that came to nothing. If it can happen for Wild Geese, why not this movie? If you're looking for a Christmas movie that's not a Christmas movie, check this one out. The Long Kiss Goodnight gets my coveted 5 out of 5.